Welcome to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. I am very honored to be with a dear friend, Brooke Harley, today. I thought Brooke was in New York, and she quickly reminded me that, sister, the world has changed. I don't need to be in New York. So Brooke is the globetrotting human of the world. She's a CEO and founder of Class Rebel. And before I go any further, I just need to let everyone know that Brooke and I started at Lululemon on the same day. I think it was 12 or 13 years ago. And it's really cool that life has come full circle. And now I get to talk to you about what you're creating. So Brooke, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Steph. It's so nice to be here and to hear your voice again. Aw, thanks, buddy. I am always excited about your thoughts, opinions, what's happening in the world and your pulse. So for the next 20 minutes, we're going to really try to dive in and, and soak up the juices in your brain if you're up for it. Do it. Let's do it. It feels only appropriate that we dive in. You know, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, though it is very cool that you, you know, left Vancouver to go to New York and really embark upon this new journey called Class Rebel and your thoughts on education right now. What are they and what do we need to know? Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, I moved to New York and I was raising a round of financing. Um, And I can tell you (laughs) in the VC world pre-COVID, education was the least sexiest sector, like the redheaded stepchild of the business. But um, And I was raising a round and uh, I got a term sheet and I decided not to take it. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, the, the world changed, right? March 12th, everyone remembers where we were and education became the sexiest thing <laughs> in BC <laughs> because, because COVID really ripped up what education looks like and how we do it. And I think that it normalized different behaviors forever. And, you know, some of the things that I was saying to investors pre-COVID, like, hey, live stream clubs, that's going to be a thing that people do, you know, all live together talking from around the world. Well, you know, that just made more sense post-COVID. So I think you asked me my thoughts on education. Here's what I think, you know, longevity, we're living this hundred year life now, like that's what we're trending towards in longevity. And we stop learning formally at 21. And I just think, what are we doing for 80 years? Are we doing Netflix and podcasts? Like, is that how we continue our learning? And is, is that going to make us happy? Is that what we want? Would we construct our lives that way, knowing we we're living a hundred year life? And I, I think the answer is no, you know, that's a cultural construct that we stop learning at 21. It's a cultural construct that we, you know, especially in the U S you know, blow your financial brains out at 21 on a lifetime's worth of education, except that education is going to become obsolete, you know, with the way the world's changing so fast. So, and, you know, we, what do we think of when we think of continuing education? I can't think of anything more crusty, more stigmatized, more embarrassing, more in need of a major glow up than that sector. So what I believe is in this hundred year life, people are desperate to keep developing. They'd love to learn more. They'd love to have that as a normal part of their life that was accessible and affordable, but that doesn't exist today. You know, real education and skill sets cost thousands and thousands and thousands. And, you know, people don't have that when you, especially in the U S when you add college debt, medical debt, mortgages, like 
there has to be a solution that's that for, you know, modern skill sets, that's not going to drive people into debt. Oh gosh. I just got goosebumps because yes, of course, like I would 20 year old Steph, 21 year old Steph has so much to learn. (laughs) Of course I need to develop. And, and before we hit record, you were also talking about how, you know, life in New York wasn't just about modern education or sorry, I shouldn't, I should call it more traditional education. It was the modern education piece. And what are people caring to learn about and where are they going to get educated? And yeah, what can you tell us about that? You know where I think that people are going for education right now, they're going to podcasts yeah. They're, they're going to conferences. They're going to fireside chats. They're going to YouTube. Believe it or not, we believe they're, they're going to TikTok now. Yeah. There's an education community um, growing on TikTok. But Wait, what we Brooke, I need to interrupt you because you know TikTok was created to help the Chinese community, to help China learn English. And so they were using song lyrics as an ESL school class. Really. Oh my God. There no go. way. No yeah. one's ever told me that. Fact. There you go. Right there. It's okay. online education for ESL. I That's so beautiful. I had no clue. I really didn't. Okay. So we've just started, you know, playing with TikTok in these bite-sized, you know, education bits, more as branding to make, to make it fun and to drive to the live course. But what I believe about adults right now is that they're going to podcasts, YouTube, TikTok, and whatever subject matter they're trying to learn, they're cobbling it together from these really unstructured, you know, storytelling formats. But if, but if you really want to learn, okay, angel investing, right. And what that's all about, or, you know, raising money from angels and VCs, you know, we can find the people in the world that can deliver you, you know, really high value education for your time and make it really fun. Right. Um, so that people aren't just cobbling together these skill sets from TikTok and YouTube and then, and then podcasts and sort of cobbling it together, which can take years. Why not? We really believe that the next format past podcasting is the eight hour live course. It was bubbling pre COVID it's happening now. And we think there's a market just like Gimlet was the first in the podcasting market to say, Hey, podcast, it's, it's a format. It's going to be a thing. They were right. It blew up. They were acquired by Gimlet. We're saying there's a market past podcasting and it's the eight hour live course. People join it from around the world. We're doing it now. And it's something people actually pay for. And we want to be more like Netflix, right? We love Netflix because we think that brand transcends class. Whether you come from a non-affluent household or an affluent household, you have an account in your house because they so undercharge and they so over-deliver and we're so inspired by that model. Mm, Beautiful. I mean, we're obviously recording a podcast right now and I would just like to say that podcasts and audiobooks have, have truly been my form of learning. And so I was like, yes, like Brooke, you're speaking to my audience, to, to me. And I've leveraged podcasts or, or audiobooks as a consumer. I, I'm so mindful of how much I consume there and why we host this podcast is because I'm committed to generating a conversation as well. And it's very selfish, truly. Uncorked began because I wanted to uncork stories of remarkable leaders and their lives and journeys that we couldn't find on Google. And we couldn't just Google to to learn something about them. So be it a fireside chat that's recorded, that was why this podcast originated. And I'm mindful that, you know, now I want to learn how to make bread or 
you know, take a business to another level. I want to learn how to get stronger and I gravitate toward humans. I want to learn from someone. And here's the thing, like, here's what we really feel strongly about everything that you just said, right? All the formats, the audio bit, audio books, the podcast, the different things that you're going to, they're all pre-recorded, right? You're doing them alone. And we actually believe learning in its most quality format is like, that's done as a team. That's done as a group. You experience it together. You meet other people. I mean, we're doing classes from around the world. We have, you know, Dubai's on the phone, Ireland's on the phone, Lithuania, Russia, Moscow, Australia, you know, all over the U.S. People from around the world, right? Sharing their perspectives. And we're sort of grinding through what we're learning as a team. And I know people really like it. And that's what's missing from all these, all these learning formats now, right? Audiobooks and even masterclass and podcasts is like, they're great. They teach us something, but we're all doing it alone. Mm. You know, I, I think there's going to be a huge market in live education. Mm. And obviously, you know, we're betting on that. Yeah. I love that. Well, and if anyone knows how to take a bet, it's you. And I love that you can, you know, derive a thesis that you believe so strongly to be true and you go for it. And I'll never, ever knock that. I think it's, it's a beautiful thing, you know, that I'll follow and get excited about any thesis that comes from Brooke. You know, you mentioned alone though, and it feels appropriate that we talk about that because COVID has been real. COVID has made us spend a lot of time alone COVID has, as you have seen, you know, you know, friends and colleagues that businesses have imploded, not everyone's going to make it through. And that's just how it is. And I am curious your thoughts on, I mean, I don't want to say as broad as society, but you know, your, your circle, what have you seen? And how are we coping with this current state of aloneness? Yeah, I mean, I can only speak you know, yeah, from, for myself and circle of friends. I mean, I think, you know, isolation is what they, what they use in prisons to break people. So I think, you know, you know, a a mental health crisis as a result of COVID is probably a massive understatement. And I think it's happening right now in North America, all over the world. And it's just like, we're barely holding it together because isolation is, is something that really breaks people down and that's known. So, you know, I think the good news is I think there's vaccines on the way. And in a year from now, I think we all could be in a different place. But, you know, what have we all done in this time during COVID? We've got together online, right? Live. We've done the cocktail hours. You know, I did a Halloween, Halloween party with people from all over just kind of sitting on Zoom and having a drink. And that's like, you know, it's no substitute. Mm. obviously, but that's, that's how we're all desperately trying to connect and meet new people is, is, is through zoom. Right. Yeah. And these live, you know, formats, but I guess what's getting into what's interesting to us about that is that it's becoming normalized to spend a lot of time on zoom. It's normalized that you're meeting new people now through zoom. And it's normalizing that I think we start to trust people without having to meet them in person. Mm. I think that's, these are, these are, you know, that's kind of some interesting positive stuff. I think we're just seeing changes in behavior that have fast forwarded five years because of the pandemic, but Mm. I think we're all struggling and we're, we're all ready to go back to, you know, our social or very social lives that we were leading before. Yeah. I am curious about resiliency and I want to speak to you personally first 
because I think it's the season of resiliency. It's the, I mean, we're, we're crossing through here in the Pacific Northwest several seasons and each season, be it summer, fall, and now winter is causing us to flex our resiliency muscle. As entrepreneurs, we're caused to flex our resiliency muscle all the time, let alone under these restrictions. And I want to know how have you strengthened your resiliency muscle over the years, over the last 12 years, Brooke? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a, it's an interesting question. Cause I've heard people say, you know, this COVID period is the hardest time of their life. And I, I definitely feel like I've had harder moments than this. And you know, what's the toolkit for getting over the dark, the dark times, which so often come, I think with broken hearts, you know, and what I've found you know, when we were talking about this before we hit record, I mean, resiliency, part of it's just time heals, right? Sometimes you just have to give yourself some time to get over what happened. Sometimes there's just nothing to do, but let time take its course. Yeah. But also, I mean, I think you, you would agree with this, given the athlete that you are. I really think that, <laughs> and you, you love doing exercise where I force myself to do it more. <laughs> but I find that it, it can shift your mindset completely. It can shift how you interpret things, what you think is possible. I do find, you know, exercise and moving your body to be one of the wildest things that you can do to take care of yourself. But I also think, you know, another coping mechanism for me is always making sure that I'm spending time with people I love every day in some way, whether I see them or I'm on the phone with them. The other tool that I found helpful for me is actually using your time to help others when you're in that dark space, I have found that giving to others is something that makes me feel happier. And again, like that's old research, you know, mm-hmm. that, that doing that can make you feel like your life has a little bit more purpose, but I've also found, you know, something that we learned at Lululemon, like gratitude, right. Mm-hmm. Getting into that habit of picking off the good in every day yeah, is, can make all the difference. So yeah, things like time and gratitude journals and helping others exercise. I mean, what have you, what have you relied on? What's in your toolkit? Gosh, I, as you say this, I mean, I, I had a a pretty dark spot this year. I won't lie. And when I went dark, I started getting phone calls from people that I think were worried that I was like, how, how deep and dark are you really? Like, are are you, are you really dark? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm eating. I'm, I'm still riding my bike. I'm okay. But really sucks. It was actually my doctor who called and she called and said, I just want to make sure that you're still writing in your gratitude journal. And she didn't ask about anything else. And I had talked, I mean, my doctor's a beautiful person who used to come to these spin classes I did in Vancouver a long time ago. And I would talk about gratitude and I'm like, you know, it's all some inspo quote until you really truly need it. And it's all, you know, hashtag blessed until you pause and realize how blessed you really are. And I have made gratitude the cornerstone of my day. It's what I, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, Brooke, and it's the last thing I do before I go to bed at night. Meditation. I mean, we're going to get into this, you know, the angles of, of our mental health as, as you were mentioning, you know, before we hit record, but I really feel like, you know, I know how to push my body. That doesn't do anything. Like it's a quick hit of a chemical reaction. That's great, but it's not, it doesn't take me for 24 hours or, you know, it's, it's a moment in time that does good. And it's only done right when coupled with other activities. So I know that, you know what we didn't talk about though, and we probably should tell me 
is something I skipped over in resiliency. You know, in some of my darkest days too, the darkest days that I've had, you know, I've been like, well, I'm going to find myself a counselor or, you know, and talk talk to someone and people don't, people don't talk about it much, but I started doing it Mm. and I was like, oh, like this is a luxury actually. I mean, it's, you know, to, to, to go in and be able to dump it out Mm. for an hour, it is so cathartic. Mm. And I think in the future we'll recognize, I think how, oh, what a luxury it is and how healthy it is to be able to go dump it out. And, and what I found was sometimes the counselor that I had in those dark times, she would, she would illuminate something for me that I'd never heard of, or I'd never thought of it that way. Mm. And that was helpful. But sometimes, honestly, it was just the luxury of dumping it out for an hour was, was, and, or even knowing there was an appointment coming up was like a relief. It's like, okay, I'm taking care of myself. You know, it's like, I'm working on this and in all different ways. But I just think, you know, (laughs) growing up, you used to hear celebrities talk about my shrink and sort of never. And I was just like, it, cause it's a luxury to have. It just, yeah. it, I don't know. I would recommend it to anybody. I actually yeah. felt so much better. And there's seasons when I needed it and seasons when I don't, but it yeah. made such a difference. And it was just something I added to the whole health regimen. It was like, go to the gym, go to the counselor, do the gratitude, help somebody yeah. else. It was like an arsenal of things that you do. And I, I left that out. I don't know, maybe cause I didn't want to say anything, but like oh, it, no. a gift, it's an absolute gift. Like it's actually the best. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And it does, I mean, it goes without mentioning that we recognize our privilege in having access to that and having access to those resources. And I think that they have been very busy during COVID. And I think that there are, you know, different avenues to have access to therapists and counselors and, you know, depending on where you are and what's available. I know a lot of them have gone on to zoom to continue, you know, hosting these sessions and I'm always grateful for them. So no, it's, it would be remiss to not mention the power of that for sure. And I know that we reflect on you and I, which is so helpful. And when we speak of your friends, I I'm curious if you can leave us with, with thoughts to entrepreneurs that have gone through the dark days and it might be COVID or it might be completely unrelated to COVID, to be honest, Brooke, but you know, we see lots of places shutting the doors, closing down businesses are changing. And what are your thoughts for entrepreneurs that are experiencing the close down? And it's not that, you know, and I'm not putting words in your mouth, but it's like, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily looking for the like, get up and do it again but maybe it is the get up and do it again. Or, you know, you mentioned time. How, how does that relate to mourning the death of a business? I, I just think it's so important to recognize like the minute that you step out of employment, right? You know, day-to-day, the safety of being employed by somebody else. I think every entrepreneur can agree that we all look back at our old jobs and sometimes we long for like those cushy nine to fives <laughs> and all the kind of security and calm that went with that because I found leaving the security of a regular job dramatic, you know, almost like all the time, right? It's it's not a safe space. You know, in terms of failure, I've been through that and yeah. deeply painful. Yeah. And, you know, as you start to look around at the older entrepreneurs that are successful in their forties, fifties, and sixties, you don't have to go far to, to find that their road is littered with failure as well. Mm. 
And so your time might be now to fail, but it won't always be that way. Mm. And it's extremely painful. Like this is a path that, that is more painful than I, and more dramatic in some ways than I ever would have known. But I also, I think we all also feel like sometimes we're living life to the fullest this way. Mm. So I, I would just say that this, you know, there is, it's a painful path and you're not alone, even if you feel like you are and, and it doesn't last forever. Yeah. You know, Brooke, you also said one other thing that's really sticking with me and that is your relationship to risk. Can you, I, it would be remiss of us to not touch on that. What, what are your thoughts on risk and how that shows up or impacts our lives? Yeah, I think that there's been times, you know, in the way that I'm choosing to live life, I'm like, do I choose adventure? Or do I choose peace? Do I choose risk or do I choose peace? Mm. And what I found is risk, living a life of risk and, you know, leaving your job and starting something, risking your money, other people's money, your reputation, relationships, etc. I just feel like you're bound to fail that way. And, and, and that's part of it. And, and you accept that, but when you're also living that way, I feel like that's when real life happens. And the serendipity of creating something out of nothing is, is a magic place. And not everyone gets to experience the serendipity of creating things and all the things and people you bring into your life when you create something from nothing, Mm. they all go together. I just feel like they go together. And and what I said to you, I guess, pre-recording was, I think, you know, everyone risking something, whether it's your heart, right, in a marriage and love, or you're risking, you know, monetary income or your, your reputation or a whole bunch of other things, you know, trying to build a business. Broken hearts are par for the course with risk, but but also so is, I think, the most magic that life has to offer. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes I'm like, do I choose risk or do I choose peace? Mm. I keep coming back to, to risk with pockets of peace <laughs> because it's more interesting and more rewarding yeah. overall. overall. But, but some days, I mean, am I alone? Some days, aren't you like, why, why am I, why do I do this to myself? Or like, yes, I like, who's going to give me my performance review, Brooke? Who? Like my puppy is still alive. So I feel like I'm winning. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, the things that, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, all things and whether it's a relationship or it's a business, you know, or it's a sweaty pursuit, it all involves our heart and our heart is on the line and that is a risk. And, you know, I think I, I went through a period where I was like, I just couldn't do this again. And then I got up the next morning and I was like, oh, but here I am. Like I'm, I'm here doing it again. Of course I can. So that's a pretty cool thing. And I think you've nailed it. And I, yeah, I appreciate perspective and I appreciate hearing from you both from a personal side, but you also have just had the opportunity of having such incredible friendships and relationships with people that have done it too. And as you've said, it's been beautifully littered with failures along the way. And the stories of coming out of that is indeed what makes life interesting. I'm actually not interested in the person that's had the easy gold walk. I don't care if you've, you know, if it's been the easy way, I want to know about the the hike over the rocks, you know? Yeah. I feel like at the very least, everything that's, you know, ever since leaving Lululemon, what's been created and what's been taken apart and what's been created again, it all feels like an interesting life compared to, and it's also made me more empathetic. I don't know about you, yeah. oh, but yes. I can feel other people's pain a little bit more now that I've risked some things, you know? Yes, we've risked it all and continue to show up. So yes, 
Speaking of risking it all, we have one thing to hit on before we close this with the last question of the podcast, but that is your fundraising course. Fundraising 101, December 7th to 10th, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's a live course. I can't believe I'm leaving this until the very end. I want to know who it's for, Brooke, and for our people and our friends that are listening, why should they sign up? Why should they tell a friend to sign up? Give it to us. Yeah. So what we're doing is, I mean, most of the money that's going to entrepreneurs is going to people from Wharton, Stanford, and Harvard. It's a class system. It's a class sport. And I started teaching at the course like Fundraising 101 so that we could help level the playing field. I think this is an education that everyone deserves to have access to so that you can build something that matters. And so in this course, we are bringing together people from around the world. We do every time. And what we're going to go through is is how you basically approach VCs and angels and raise money for them. So we go through things like the pitch deck, we go through your investor target list, we go through your five-year forecast, we grind through, you know, the convertible note, the safe, the priced round to get you ready for that question that an investor will inevitably ask you. They'll be like, so what are the terms of your deal, right? And the whole goal is that you're so versed and so comfortable in the language and mechanics of raising money that a VC would be surprised by your sophistication. Mm. And so you can raise the money on good terms and go build something that matters. I don't think that it's only the folks from Harvard, Wharton, and Stanford that know what the world's problems are. I'd like to see some folks have a chance at raising money who might come from a tougher background than that. They might have more of a handle on life's problems, you know, what needs to be solved. Mm. So that's the purpose of the course. And we have people from all over the world and it's a lot of fun, right? To get all those mm -hmm. different perspectives from entrepreneurs around the world. So that's the course. We're sending 2020 off big time. We're expecting the biggest class ever. So definitely join us if you're listening. I love it. We'll make sure there's links in the show notes of how to get access. And if anyone knows how to raise money, it's you. And yeah, I think this is awesome. So thank you for creating modern education accessible to everyone in a really fun, fun way. Brooke, we end every podcast here with one question, and that is, what is currently making your heart beat faster? I knew you were going to ask me that. What makes my heart beat faster is is what will we look back on and think what part of the pandemic will have been positive for society? Will it, you know, a year from now, will we say we've got to do things in a certain way because it's better for climate? We need to do things in a certain way because it, it benefits families. We need to stay this way and, you know, because it benefits relationships. I think a lot about, you know, what stays from all this because it made our lives better and the world better. So I think a lot about, about what positive can come out of all of this. And I think it's going to have to do with families, relationships, and climate. Amen. Love and Mother Earth. What else really matters? <laughs> what else matters, Steph? I don't know. <laughs> oh, Brooke, it's such a pleasure. I'm so grateful for your time. I'm grateful for the work that you're doing in the world. And I'm really grateful for your friendship because when things happen, my first moment of really what felt like a bottom out I remember going for coffee with you and you passed me a book and you said, this isn't as bad as it's going to be. And a month later, I started a business and I, you had a lot to do with it. And here we are now, six years later. And so I just want to say thank you. Yes. Glad truly. to have played a role. Yeah, truly, truly. Be well, enjoy the sunshine and stay safe.